Well, next week we celebrate Transfiguration Sunday, which is where Jesus is transfigured. Very good. And then we'll have Ash Wednesday, and then suddenly we're into Lent, which is crazy. But before we get into next week, guess what? We've got today. And this afternoon, look at you in your shirt. We are going to see greatness on display. And I'm not talking about that team or any other team. I'm not talking about the amount of pizza or nachos or sliders or wings or Capri Suns that you personally will put away today. I'm not even talking about Rihanna and the halftime show. I am talking about commercials. Today, we will see commercials in which the sole purpose is to get us to change our mind and buy something. The very best Don Drapers will try their best to entertain, convince, and make us desperately want to buy something, make us feel like we just need it. There'll be throwbacks, I'm sure, of famous stars playing their famous roles in famous movies, things we'd never thought we'd see again. But at the heart of all of them, it's going to come down to the idea that they are selling something. And we will choose which is better. We will vote on which one we liked. We will discuss it. And whether we admit it or not, we probably even will, based on what we see, buy something. There is a reason I only eat Doritos Nacho Cheese, because you never see Cool Ranch in the commercials. It's only Nacho Cheese. Now, if today something happens differently, I want you to forget what I said. Because it's natural to like something, right? It's to like it more than something else. It's natural to let something influence us. And in our text today, we see something of what happens when what we like influences more than what we need. And I know it said Matthew 5, but we're going to look today at Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his very first one. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 is what we're going to look at. So if you want to tee it up in your Bible, you can do that. It'll appear in the screen in just a little bit. But the people of Corinth, which who Paul is writing this letter to, had a reputation in the ancient world as these unruly, hard-drinking, partying, sexually promiscuous bunch of people. And when Paul arrived with the message of Jesus, many of them became believers. But contrary to popular belief, you don't automatically get all of the impeccable manners and suitable morals when you receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. In fact, the Corinthians end up kind of bringing that reputation that they had with them right into the church. Now, we're told that Paul spent about 18 months with them as their pastor, and he was going over the very basics of the gospel, teaching them how to live out this new life of faith and love as followers of Jesus. And sometime later, after he had left, Paul received a report that the church of Corinth had more or less begun to fall apart. Factions had developed, morals were lacking, worship had become about this selfish grabbing and seeking these secret supernatural things that supposedly existed. And so this letter, this 1 Corinthians and even 2 Corinthians, is his response. It's affectionate, but it's firm. It's clear, and it is unswerving in the conviction that God is among the people in the church of Corinth. He's revealed to them in Jesus and present with them in the Holy Spirit that dwells within them. And regardless of how much they had made a mess of things, Christ was still center, and Christ needs to always be center. So he directs them back to faith and love. And here in chapter 3, we see that he's discussing the factions of the church that had happened. 
So we're going to enter into the word of God, but before we do, like I always like to, I like to just take just a moment before we let God's word speak to us, to take a deep breath, maybe even pray and realize that when God speaks to us in his word, he's looking directly at us with that gaze of love as he says, my child, hear my voice, this word is for you. And this is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at the first verse. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly, he says. What we're reading here is that these Corinth Christians, to some extent, are thinking and acting according to the flesh, not according to the spirit. Now, of course, their, their worldly ways, their flesh doesn't dominate every aspect of their life, or they would have no evidence of that following Jesus, that being born again. But Paul is addressing issues where they are clearly acting and thinking in a worldly way. That word in the Greek, therefore, worldly in the Greek is sarkikos, and that means made of flesh. But we translate it as worldly because it speaks to this weakness that is common to every fallen human. It speaks of the one who can and should do differently because of the Holy Spirit, because of the power of God, but does not. See, Paul was keeping his teachings to them on the basics even though they had this inflated view of their own spirituality, they thought they knew it all right away. As if following Jesus was just kind of understanding the test, making sure I know the information, and in a few weeks, I've mastered everything and I'm ready to go. But Paul is saying, you want to do deep things, but you're not even doing the basic things that I preach to you. And so he uses this wonderful metaphor of food, of milk, and the difference between milk and solid food is of degrees. It's not of kind. See, everything that we learn about Jesus or teach about Jesus can be taught to children. Now, probably not with the same words, but always with the same heart. He's explaining to them that there aren't two Gospels, one for the, the learned and one for the unlearned. There's no part of the gospel that Pastor Tim and I and myself have access to that we're authorized not to give you until you reach the diamond platinum level. And it's not that God himself was preventing these Corinthians from receiving the solid food that Paul wanted to give. The problem was the attraction that these Corinthians had to the spiritual junk food. They were seeking man's wisdom. They were seeking elegance. They were seeking things that looked cool. They were so filled with this junk food that they weren't ready to receive the basic, full, solid food that Paul wanted to give them. It was as if they had a whole meal of beautiful steak and vegetables, and they wanted the chicken tenders that your kids always order, at least mine do. And the glimpse here is of people thinking that they are really something when they are not. And you know as well as I do that there is no better way to fill that self-importance that we feel, feel than when we get to create our own ways of doing things, our own ways of thinking about things. We create our own little clubs and say, well, actually, this is better. If you want to do this, this is what really is what you want to do. And so Paul identifies right away that this is your junk food. This is what's holding you back. And he says this, 
You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not, like, are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are we not being mere humans? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through who you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his tasks. Now, first notice again that Paul did not say that they were mere humans, as if they weren't saved, only that they were behaving as if they weren't saved, behaving like they were just humans. Christians have a higher call than living like the rest of humanity, and we do too. By having the Spirit of God, you have moved from being a human, a mere human, to a child of God, to a co-heir with Christ, to a citizen of heaven. Spiritual people that you have become in Jesus are to walk in the Spirit. They do otherwise. They're worldly. They're, they're called upon to repent, to stop and to turn back, to start walking again in the Spirit that has claimed them. Paul makes it very clear that remaining worldly is not an option when it comes to belonging with Jesus. And these Corinthian Christians are showing that they thought of themselves as spiritual, but their divisions show that they were acting worldly. They were just kind of playing at being spiritual. Because there is really something at the root of saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Peter, who's mentioned earlier in the, in the letter and also later in this chapter, as if these three guys were like some sports team. Something more than that is really going on. They, as a church, were becoming jealous and dividing themselves up based on who they preferred, creating fractions in the church because this person must know more. This person's closer to God, so I'm following them. And in fact, this person actually knows me. So I'm going to follow him. That's, that's what's important because I want to be as right and as close to God and the person is what matters here. But we'll find out later on in this letter that they didn't just stop at separating based on who they preferred. They separated based on wealth as well and status and perceived understanding. And I have to wonder where would it stop? wonder how much longer it goes till then we separate based on gender or skin color or who has more or less sin, what type of sin they had, ranking it as if somehow in God's eyes, if your sexual orientation is this or your political party is this or if you're divorced or not, as if the size of your house, this is what makes you important in God's eyes. And we can look at this and wonder where does the fracturing stop? the segregating, the divisions. Because you know as well as I do that they probably don't stop until we stand alone in our very, very tiny, small group. Can you imagine for these people if they had something that could make it look that they were present to everyone except they weren't? They had somehow customized access to something that would just enhance their individuality? They could get their, the things they like, the music they like, the news stories they want to hear, the things they want to buy just given to them, only very personalized. 
convince themselves that this is better, this is what is right all the time. Think of how divisive they would have been then. Take it one step further, and I wonder how jealous they could make others by posting pictures of the beautiful life that they had, how great their lives was, all the things they were doing. I wonder just how divided these people could have become. I wonder just how very strong the desires for division that come from following and chasing the things of this world are. And I wonder how very easy it is to remain worldly. But Paul doesn't waste any time. He addresses it and makes it clear that there is a role, there is some purpose that you are supposed to be chasing, something you're supposed to be doing. And he says, he is just a servant. More importantly, he makes it clear why he is doing it. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. He was the guy who followed Paul. But God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Notice that planted and watered are acts in the past. He had a task, Apollos had a task, and they did them as they should. But what good would those tasks be if there was no growth given by God? The growth is the focus. The growth is the focus because it marks the continued work of God. And it is only God who makes things grow. And Paul shows us just how humbling it is that the work is what is to be done. Not the name or the fame. Because neither the one who plants or waters is anything but only God. There are two things. First, Christians have different jobs and Christians have different gifts. Each one of us do. And some people get very frustrated because they want to water when God has called them to plant or they want to plant when God has called them to water. Some people want to be at the top. Because this message right here is different than everything we have learned since coming into this world. What we've been taught to desire, to do, to be the best, to work hard, to achieve it, to get more followers, to get noticed by the boss, to be the boss, to be a starter, to have the best, to want the best. And I hope you don't think that I'm saying you shouldn't try to be the best or try to be good at what you do or work hard. I'm saying that, that that way of living, that chasing this perceived greatness for recognition and fame is a worldly idea. It's not a spiritual one. Paul says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? But just the ones who brought you to Jesus, that's it. They want you to work hard to this end, to the mission, the work is to bring Jesus to people, to be living in a way that glorifies God. And to know and believe that God has uniquely placed you and uniquely given you gifts of love. 
before him. Because that's the second point. That you are important in the continuing work of God, which is growth, which is life, which is fruit, which is blessing, which is love, which is hope. You are important in participating in what God is doing. You are important in participating in God's purpose, each one of us. Now, he is the one giving growth. Nothing will grow unless he wills it. So if he's going to grow it and we're going to (laughs) work, well, let's do and work for something that's going to last, not something that's going to only be momentary. I think Jesus said it, what good would it be if you gained the whole world but you lost your soul? What good would it be if you got everything, if you worked so hard that you achieved it all but you lost Jesus? What good would it be if you work and you leave the most beautiful, perfect, never have to work a day in their life for your children but they don't know Jesus? What's important? is this purpose and this mission of God to make sure that what will be spoken of you is that you brought Jesus because that's what lasts and that's what matters. Verse 8 says, the one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose. And they'll each be rewarded according to their own labor. We are co-workers in God's service. We are God's field, God's building. Paul combats that desire within us to divide and says we must be one team with one purpose. How silly to say that planting is what's really cool or watering is the best. Why would you ever waste time planting? No. We work together towards the same goal in Jesus. We stop seeing ourselves as competition and seeing each other as who we are called to be for. Because if we're all the field, all the building, then God is saying he is for us and we must be for each other. God wants you as his working partner. And when you consider all the ways that God could have done his work, isn't it amazing that he looks at you and says, you are the one I want for this task. He wants you to participate and to experience life with him. And isn't that why Jesus came? Did he not give his life for each one of us? Did he not tell us to be known by our love for each other? Did he not show us what that love should be willing to do as he laid down his life for each one of us? Now, we may not physically die for each other, but we must die to self so that we can love and can join in the purpose of God. So I'll close with this. Today, yeah, you'll you'll see greatness, sure. But if you are seeking for something more, if you are looking for the true foundation that is Jesus Christ, he is in you. He is in his word and his sacraments, and there is great work to be done. There is great work to be done in his community, in his kingdom, in your life. Today is the time to build. Today is the time to plant, to water, to grow, to use whatever gifts that God has given you in service of his kingdom. Amen.